You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Well, all right. Good morning, everybody. Um, If you're brand new, hi, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, really glad to be back with you guys. It's been a couple of weeks um, and uh, just just really excited to be able to continue the series with you. But fortunately, even though I've been gone a couple of weeks, the mission statement didn't change. So that was good. It's always to uh, we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And we want you to have at least one person in your life that you are praying for, connecting with, uh, going to lunch with, inviting them to church so that they could discover Jesus and they could follow him and then they could lead somebody else to do that as well. So uh, glad you're with us here today. And if you're joining us online, just want to thank you for being here. We also have Melissa as your chat host. So Melissa, if you would be just kind of putting in all those links and everything throughout the service would be really great. So um, i honestly glad that you guys are with us wherever you're joining us today. Um, I do think it's interesting that I wrote this uh, earlier this week, the beginning of this message, and the beginning of the message said this, hey, can I say something that might shock you? The world is a mess. And uh, I just think that that's pretty, uh, pretty ironic that uh, we have seen that come to fruition in a very, very hard, harsh way as we see um, Israel uh, in, in the middle of a war. Um, and, and so we just, met my heart, I've been to Israel, I've been to Jerusalem, I've been seeing that land. We know God's heart for Jerusalem, and so we just wanted to, to take a moment and just kind of pray about that as we look at the brokenness that's there. And um, Now listen, we, we understand that there is innocence on both sides of this whole thing, and so uh, women and children, those that are innocent, we just pray for protection and the whole thing, but, but we also do pray for Israel as, as we know God's heart for them, and um, we just want to we want to we want to be pray, praying for them in this whole situation. So we'll push pause and let's just do that right now. Father, we we live in a broken world, and as fitting as this message may be to this topic today, Father, in this moment we just we push pause and we pray for this conflict that's in Israel, and we pray for Israel specifically. We pray for the innocents on both sides of this this conflict and this war, and we pray that you your hand would be in it, and that you would be ultimately. Um, protecting and, and, and allowing things to be under your control. Father, we just pray for you to, to intervene and, and to be there. We pray for protection. We pray for direction. We pray for all of those things that we don't even know to pray for. But right now, we, we simply pray and we lift them to you and ask that you would just be with this entire situation over there. Uh, we love you and we ask that you be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, it, it, uh, it shouldn't surprise us, though, okay? It shouldn't surprise us that the world is broken as broken as it is. Uh, and I often have to check myself a lot of times from saying this phrase, maybe you say it too, how did the world get so messed up? And like I have to check myself because here's the deal, I know why. Like I already know, like it is sin. Lots and lots and lots of sin. That's exactly how the world got so broken and messed up. So that should not be the surprising part, at least not surprising to me. Where the shock and awe comes in is how sin is expressed. It, it is what people do to each other, to themselves, to God, that should take your breath away. Because even, even though we talk about Israel right now, there is no shortage of sinful things that have happened in our world. I mean, you can look at the Crusades. 
Look at the Holocaust. You can look at slavery. I mean, those are just a few off the top. And, and those are all sinful things. But before we get too, too shocked by that, there's this old saying that goes like this. Never underestimate how far you'll fall when you are far from God. Okay, I, I just think deep down, we know that that's true. Because sin, it has a way of destroying the very lining of your soul. And as it does that, it's going to take things that God created for good and for holy things, and it's going to twist them, and he's going to make them terrible. But the question we have to ask is, what do we do with all this brokenness? Like how, and how can we see God in the middle of the mess? Well, today, as we continue in our series in looking at the study of the book of Esther, we're going to look at just, just that. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you have your Bibles, your Crossroads Grace apps, I'm going to have you turn to Esther chapter 3 is where we'll pick up today. Melissa, this is a good time to put that link in for those that are joining us online. Esther chapter 3. And as, as we come into this moment in the text in chapter 3, we are on the heels of, of Esther, who the, the book of Esther was kind of entitled after her. Esther, she, is, she has been selected as the new queen of Persia. And King Xerxes, who's the king of Persia at the time, he's chosen her out of a harem of women to replace Vashti, who was the former queen, who he banished back in chapter, chapter 1. So, so things in the story are, trying, are starting to kind of take shape a little bit. We've got the queen, we know the king, but today we have a very important angle that, that needs some unpacking. So to do that, let's dive in. Chapter 3, start in verse 1, and let's, let's, over, let's see what God has for us today. Verse 1 says, after these events, now these events that he's talking about there are the events that Mordecai uncovering a plot against the king's life. So that's what those events are. It says, the king Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamathada, the Agiite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. So here we go. Here we've got a new character that's in the mix. His name is Haman. Now you're going to want to hang on to that name. He's going to be a huge part of the rest of the story. Haman's a, a big part. But, but here is where he kind of thrusts himself onto the scene. Here comes Haman. And right away we know, man, this dude's a big deal. King Xerxes bestows his honor on him, which, which made him one of the highest uh, trusted advisors and nobles in all the land. And it also gave him extreme power in the kingdom. It put him on the level of, of royalty, and it required people to bow down in honor to him. It's as if he was like a lower G god in the kingdom of Persia. But I want us to learn a little bit more about Haman than just kind of brush, brushing past this. So for starters, Haman was a really, 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 did I mention really, really bad dude? Like a bad dude. K King Solomon would write these words in the book of Proverbs chapter 6. He would say, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up, con stirs up conflict in the community. If you looked in the dictionary definition of Haman, all that shenanigans would be by his name. Okay, that is Haman. You are going to see, he is the worst. Worse than Toby Flanders in the office, he is the worst, okay? And so as we continue to read the story, you're going to find out how terrible this guy really is. But even though Haman was bestowed this honor by the king, and now he's to be bowed down in front of as if he was royalty, not everybody in the kingdom jumped on the Haman bandwagon. So we look in verse 2 of Esther chapter 3. 
And it says, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So again, remember that Haman had kind of taken on this new role. He's got this godlike status in the kingdom. People were required to bow down to him because the king had told everybody that they should as he came through the streets. But not everybody capitulated to that demand. Not everybody did. In fact, one in particular stands out whose name is Mordecai. Now you might remember Mordecai if you were here last week. You probably remember that Mordecai was Esther's surrogate father and actually was her uncle. And Mordecai un, un, found out about the plot against the king's life and made that kind of go away. So, so that Mordecai, he's back. Okay, he's back. But now he's not bowing down to Haman out of an act of defiance. Now, we're not a, a rid, a, really told right here as far as why he wouldn't bow down to him. I mean, he could have been a little upset about the whole Esther harem thing that took place. He might have known Haman from high school and he knew some stuff and knew he's kind of corrupt. So he's like, I get it. He could have been a Dodger fan for all I know. And that I get. So like, I understand that, right? So I'm going to promise I'm going to tell you a little bit more about where this kind of came from in a second. But for now, I just want you to notice something very important about the interaction that Haman is having. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 would say this. It says, Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Why do you disobey the king's command? Now, it says that day after day, these officials would come to Haman, and, and they, or they would come to Mordecai, and they would come to him, and they'd say, like, listen, look, what's the deal, man? Like, seriously, just do the thing. Like, everybody else, do the thing. You don't want this heat on you, Morty, do you? No. Like, believe me, just do the thing. But regardless of the pressure that was exerted onto him, Mordecai didn't bow down. Mordecai stood up for what he believed in God. And as he did that, people asked him about it. Now, let me ask you something. Does anyone ever ask you that? What I mean is, does your life spark any attention from others about how you live for Jesus? Would anyone ever ask you, hey, listen, you know what? You don't swear on the job site like everybody else. Like, what, what's that? I, I noticed that you pray before you eat your meal. T tell, tell me more why you do that. You know, at, at work, you seem to not gossip about everybody and just put your head down and work really hard. Why don't you do that? Hey, hey, wh wh why do you go to church every week? Why do you read your Bible when you eat at lunch? Tell me, why do you spend your money the way that you do? Is, is, there, is there anything in your life that makes people say, hey, hang on, hang on, that, that's Jesus. Hey, what's the deal about that? Is there anything in your life? Mordecai knew that by refusing to bow down to Haman, it was going to tick him off. And of course, it was going to draw attention to himself. But the reason that he did that was not to be self-serving or self-centeredness. No, it was, it was deeply rooted in his devotion to God. What God thought was more important than what Haman or anyone else thought. So again, I ask you, do you care about what God thinks more than what the world thinks? Because if you didn't know, the world is broken. And what the world wants more than anything is for you to be broken right alongside it. Misery loves company. And don't, don't you know? The world would love you to be miserable. And I'll tell you right, hand in the air right now, I am more times than not on the wrong side of that conversation than I care to admit, okay? There are days that I would much rather go into debt and get what I want now instead of waiting until I have the money later. 
Like there are days that I want to give in and I want to give that guy that cut me off in traffic the verbal what for face to face, if you know what I'm saying. Like there's some days. I will often catch myself, oh my goodness, catch myself, I'll be in, I am not content with what God has given me, I want whatever somebody else has. I'll put so much pressure on my kids instead of them letting, be, letting them be 14 and 11. I'll be selfish as a husband and I'll want what I want rather than what's good for my marriage or good for my family. And guys, that's, <laughs> that's me on the regular, okay? Like that's the truth. But it doesn't change the fact that I need to be living my life in a way that people ask me about Jesus and are not repulsed by Jesus by my representation of him. So if I have a bad moment, here's what I do. I repent of my sin and I refocus back to Jesus. But I don't give I, I need to live my life. I need to realize that there's more to this world than what the broken world is telling me. In fact, I need to actually start to live my life as though I believe what this book says. I need to believe what this says more than culture says. I, I should be looking, you and I should be looking for opportunities for people to come and ask us, hey, why don't you obey the king's commands? We should be looking for that because what happens when, the, when we do that is that it will show that I'm living for him. And you know what it also does? Opens up an opportunity to share Jesus with other people. We should be looking for that. Uh, Jesus reminds us this. He's so good at that. John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So I, I want to be very clear with you, and I want you to listen to me very clearly. If you are not living your life in a way that creates tension in, with this world, you're not living for Jesus as closely as you think. Living for Jesus will create tension. Jesus says the world will hate you. But did you know that tension doesn't change the fact that God loves you deeply? In fact, in fact, in tension, you feel God's love even more. So we live for him in a broken, broken world, and we live for him and him alone, no matter who is watching. Now, Mordecai, standing firm against Haman, against his decision, it's easy. But Haman now has a decision to make. Mordecai's going against what he was supposed to do, and his answer to this situation is all but shocking. Look in verse 4. Verse 4 says, it says, day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the kingdom of Xerxes. So when Haman finds out what Mordecai's doing and finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, everything starts to change and he goes very dark very quickly because what we can see is that Haman hated the Jews. But why? Why would Haman hate the Jews? Well, well let me show you something that you, you might have missed on the first pass or might not have been aware of. Um, if you remember back to verse 1 that we just read, it said a king was honoring Haman, and he said that he was an Agiite. 
Now, now what does this mean? Now, there's a couple of options that this could mean. The first thing is that it could mean that he came from a district in the empire of Persia known as Agag. Made sense. He's an Agiite, Ripponite, Escalonite, Manticanite, right? You get it. Like, this could be what it is. Now, that would make sense. The only problem is it wouldn't explain why he hated the Jews so much. So there's a second possibility that I think is interesting is that Haman, the Agiite, could have also been a descendant from Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now you're probably saying, who cares? Let me explain why this is a big deal. Here's why. The Amalekites were some of the fiercest enemies of the Jews for centuries. And they were terrible. Ter- so, so much so that God told King Solomon, back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he says, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out, he said. Now, God is not going to say that if they're a bunch of angels, right? These were not. You need to know that the Amalekites were brutal and they were depraved people. So God commanded them to be annihilated. But a remnant remained because King Saul disobeyed God and was greedy. So he said, so he let some of the Amalekites live. And this act ultimately it led God to remove his hand of blessing off of King Saul and eventually place it onto King David. So Haman would have been a descendant of that remnant. So a couple of things prove to be true here. First is that Haman is showing how terrible the Amalekites truly are just in this interaction with, with, with Mordecai and the Jews. But the second thing is you can also see why he still hates the Jews because he has this deep passion for what they did to his ancestors. It would only have been about 100 years or so between when that, that took place and when Haman was alive. So Haman is marching forward, this deep passion in his heart that will not be stopped. Leads us to verse 7, back in Esther chapter 3. Verse 7 says, On the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Now, I'm going to nerd out for a couple of seconds. This is really cool stuff that you want to know about. In this passage, there's a few things that are important to keep in mind. The first thing that you should take a look at is the month that, was, that, that they talked about. The month was called Nisan. This is the month that the Jews celebrate their deliverance from Egypt by God through Moses. Remember the whole let my people go, everybody kind of left, all the plagues and everything? Nisan was the month that they would remember that. It was a major moment in the history of Israel that was sacred to them. So this scumbag Haman chooses the most sacred month of the Jews, remembering the most sacred moment in their history to decide when he's going to wipe them off the planet. Now, the second thing to note is the word pur. Now, this isn't pur, because that would be evil, and that's cats. Okay, that's no more talking about that. Right, the pur, okay, right? right? The pur meant to, meant to cast lots, which was a type of gambling in some cases. You saw that they cast lots for Jesus' clothes when he was on the cross. It's one way, but it's also a way for consulting pagan gods, which means that Haman, the Amalekite, was still tapping in to his ancestors' pagan gods to be able to attack the Jews. But the final thing that you should note is the date that the lot fell on. So it says it was the 12th month of Adar, and that would have been exactly one year from when that lot was cast. So this meant that Haman would have to wait an entire 
year to attack the Jews, an entire year to nurse his grudge against the and Mordecai and the Jews and to plot their demise. But you know what? It also meant that there was an entire year that God would be working out his plan to combat the evil in Haman. All, always, my friends, always hang on to those little nuggets of grace that fall into the cracks of our broken world. You know why? Because sometimes that's what you got to keep pushing forward. Keep looking for the grace all the time. But up until this point, the king, King Xerxes, had no idea what Haman's plot was. I mean, sure, Haman had his plan, he had his timing, but he didn't have permission. He knew exactly who he was targeting, all that stuff. So the next thing he had to do, run it up the flagpole of the king. And so he approaches the king, but he does so very interest, in a very interesting way. So look at verse 8, so we get to see. It said, Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It's, it's not the king's, in the king's best interest to, to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrator for the royal treasury. Now, so Haman approaches the king, and he does so in a very sneaky way. Because if you notice, he never identifies who he's talking about. He's very vague. He says, you know what, there's some people in your area, you know, they're, they're kind of, they keep to themselves, they do these different customs. I'm not sure if they're really even following you, king. And here's the deal. Haman's correct. These people, they did have different customs, they kept to themselves, and they did not bow to other lower G gods. And the reason being, Haman was not God. And so the Jews wanted to only honor God over man. They were committed to following the one true God. The, 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 in, in Exodus chapter 20, the, the second of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. So they were okay being different. E even in a broken world filled with all kinds of pressures against their life and everything, they chose to be different. So again, I ask you, in a broken world, how are you choosing to be different? Where have you embraced the reality that this world is not your home and that you'll always be a little bit of an alien in your own land? Hebrews chapter 13, I love this verse. It says, for... This world is not our home. We are looking forward to, looking forward to our everlasting home that's in heaven. Now, see, the people of God, they would not kneel to a king because they knew there was something greater at stake. Mordecai would not bend his knee to Haman because he wasn't God. So as Christians, listen, Christians only bend their knee to Jesus and never the demands of a broken world. Remember that. But now, but here's the deal. We, we have no... Other indication that the other Jews had tried to create like an uprising or threaten King Xerxes at all? No. If you remember, King Xerxes, he was part of the Persian army that freed the Jews from 70 years of bondage from the Babylonians. We learned that about in chapter 1. And so the Jews that remained in Persia, they volunteered and said, yep, I'll stay. So they knew what they had in King Xerxes. So even though Haman was accurate in what the Jews believed, it wasn't necessarily true about how they were acting. At this point, we only know that Mordecai was the one that refused the king's edict. But Haman didn't care. And so he uses Mordecai as a way to attack an entire group of people, knowing that the king, King Xerxes, he wouldn't really care about who they were. He just cared about what they were doing. 
Because Haman knew that the actual group of people was of secondary importance to the king. And, and if you're following along in the story, you're probably starting to think of something here. You're probably thinking, well, hang on, though. Isn't Esther a Jew? So wouldn't the king care? And you know what? Yes. But the king doesn't know that. So remember last week, Pastor Dan was kind of talking through Esther, and he said that Esther had been selected from this harem of women. But there was a very important detail that he pointed out. Exodus 2, 2 20 says, But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. So not only did the king not know, but who else wouldn't know? Haman. And frankly, that didn't even register with the king as important, right? Because of first importance to him was power and respect. That's what he cared about. And we know that is true because if we circle all the way back to chapter 1, Queen Vashti, like she was kicked out of the kingdom for the same reason, right? Because she wouldn't come and dance for the king's buddies at his party. So the king got all mad at her, banished her from the kingdom, and, and that's how they got rid of her. Well, 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 knowing that, and also knowing the king's tendency to be very manipulated and, and I would even say, like, swayed by his advisors close to him, Haman brings to the king's attention this disrespectful national-level element that's happening, this, this group of people. And, and so he plays off the king's insecurities, his hunger for power, and he says, you know what, I've got a, par I've got a solution to your problem, though. Let's just wipe them out. Complete genocide. After all, that's what kings do. They wipe out their opposition or the opposition might wipe them out. So Haman, he's like, I got you, presents this plan and he even offers the king the equivalent of a bribe. But look what the king says, look in verse 10. Verse 10 says, so the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamathita, the Agiite, the enemy of the Jews. The king says, keep the money, and do with the people as you please. King Xerxes says to Haman, he's like, hey, bro, keep your money. Okay, just, just keep your money. Who does this guy think he really is, right? Who is Haman? This would be like you or I being invited to dinner at some swanky restaurant with Bill Gates or Elon Musk, you know, and, we're, and, and then the bill comes and we're like, hey, you know what, you know what, Billy? I got this one. You know, I, 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 I got, you know, I got that. Or, or Elon, you know, Elon, I know like the Twitter thing. I mean, X, like that whole thing is kind of going sideways. Like, I got it. Don't worry. What kind of arrogant person would you be, right? Because let me be very clear here. This isn't like you and me who's sliding our debit card across the counter, hoping it doesn't bounce. You know, like that's not the problem here. Like Heyman can back it up pretty good. And I'll prove it to you. Consider what we just read, that it said that he offered the king 10,000 talents of silver. That's the equivalent of 375 tons of silver. In today's market, one ton of silver costs $614,000. Multiply that by 375, and what do you get? Over $230 million he's trying to give to the king. It's a lot of scratch, you guys. That would buy a lot of meals in college, right, Abby? That would be a lot of meals you could buy, $230 million. But Haman, he wanted to leverage all of his power, all of his wealth, to be able to get this sinful scheme pushed through because that's the type of slimy, messed up person Haman was. To get what he wanted, he would do whatever it took to make it happen, even if it meant bribing the king. But the king refused this lavish $230 million gift and he agrees to Haman's proposal. 
Because remember, to Xerxes, it wasn't about the money. It's about the power. It's about the honor. It's about what he felt was owed. And, and when he was disobeyed, I got I to gotta eliminate that opposition. So look at verse 12. Verse 12 says that on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out of the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders, the king's satraps, the governors of various provinces, and the nobles of the various people. These are written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. Could you even imagine the horror that these people felt? Imagine if you're in your home in one of these provinces of King Xerxes and a dispatch from the palace comes riding into the middle of your town and posts this on the middle of the village uh, post and on, on it it says, attention, in exactly one year on December 13th, an army from the king will come into town, will kill every man, woman, and child that is Jewish. There will be no survivors we will take your property and everything that you own and it will become the king's. And it would be signed with the king's signet ring, meaning that it was done. Could you imagine the, the, the fear, the sobbing, the, the confusion, the hysteria that would take place in that moment? It was a death sentence that had a date to it. Death was coming. And it seemed like there was nothing that they could do. This is what Haman and King Xerxes had brought on the kingdom. But as crazy as this is, it gets even more cringy. Look at verse 15. It says, The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was bewildered. Isn't that gross? These cities are, are, are trying to figure out exactly what's happening, this horrific news, while the king and Haman are sitting on some palace porch drinking brandy and having cigars. Like, they're no big deal. Why? Because why? It doesn't affect them personally at all. For the king, what are a few less insubordinate people in your kingdom after all? Just a reminder of your power and that anybody should, no one should dare try to, try to, try to cross you or get out of line. And to Haman, this perfect plan was coming into play, into, into, into focus. It, it, was, it was a two for one. He was able to get rid of this smug and Eric and Mordecai that wouldn't bow down to him. But he also avenged the deaths of all of his ancestors by wiping the Jews off the face of the earth. Haman toasts himself to this sinful plan as the people of the provinces are wondering What's going to happen? Their world was about to crumble. Innocent people were going to be murdered in mass. This was a broken world. Brokenness. It's all around us. It's inside us. 
too. And I know what you might be saying. You might be like saying, like, hey, listen, PB, I, I'm broken, but I ain't murdered millions of people broken. You know, like, and I'm sure there's not a lot of mass murderers. I understand that. But, I just want, but, but brokenness is not measured by severity. It's, it's measured by sin. And we all have sinned. You see, brokenness is a byproduct of sinfulness. Sin that you brought on yourself and sin that was brought on you by other people's sin. All brokenness is a byproduct of sinfulness. Which is why our world without Jesus will continue to crack and disintegrate as the acidic nature of sin it, it seeps into every pore of our world. And we see it happen all around us, don't we? Almost on a daily basis, don't you say to yourself, wait a second, not even that is sacred anymore? It's because the protective moral fence that, used, that we used to guard with our entire lives is slowly being stripped away down to a vague line in the sand that's defended by squirt guns filled with tolerance. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is off limits in our world. And we wonder why it continues to break down. And you don't have to look very far to see it, do you? You swipe through Instagram for two seconds and you see it all around you. But can I tell you that in the darkest times, the light of Jesus is even more important? In fact, that's the reason Jesus came. John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as crazy as this sounds, I believe this to be true, that when things seem the darkest, the need for Jesus is the greatest. Which is why as Christians who know the love and the light of Jesus Christ, we must lean into every opportunity even more to share him with the world. We, we need to keep ourselves untangled from the world so that we can show the alternative way of loving the way that Jesus did. I, I love how Paul says this in, a, in the book of Ephesians. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. A dark world needs the light of Jesus in our world to have them wake up. And it is our job as Christians to speak of him. And, and, and listen to me, I know that there's a tendency to think that if you're broken, then God can't use you. That if this world has chewed you up and spit you out like a garbage disposal, that you might have the tendency to say, oh, there's no way. There's no way I've done too much. I'm doing, there's no way. Can I just tell you that's the exact opposite of what God thinks? The exact opposite. Don't fall for the pile of garbage that Satan wants you to believe in this broken world. Don't fall for it. God is in the beautiful habit of taking really jacked up, messed up, broken things, making them new. He takes things that were broken and decaying and dying and breathes life back into them. And you know how he does that? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Yes, we, we often think of our world, man, this world right now is so messed up. Nobody knows what we're going through. Are you kidding me? It's been messed up a really long time. Like wars, famine, injustice, murder, rape, abuse, debt. It's all been there. Not the 21st century thing. It happened the second that sin came into the world. It's been here all the time. 
And yet knowing all of that, how crazy is this? That all, since all that garbage happened, past, present, and future, you know what? God still sent his son into the broken world to save it. John 3, 16 through 17, still true. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. So look at me, hear me. Whether you feel like you're broken in shambles right now or you've been restored by the blood of Jesus, I want you to hear me that this is true today. When things seem the darkest, the need for Jesus is the greatest. Because the answer to brokenness is Jesus. It's because Jesus was broken on that cross. And by his wounds, you and I, we could be healed and we could be made whole again. So this week, when you're memorizing Ephesians 5.11 with your memory card, when you leave today, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. As you do that, I want you to do a couple other things. I want you to call out broken things in your life by name. Call them by name. And then the third thing, give all your brokenness to Jesus and follow him. I had a lady after the first service come forward and just say, I'm calling it by name. I've got depression, I've got anxiety, and I want Jesus to have that too. What do you got to call by name? And don't keep it in here. Say it. Say it so Jesus knows. I don't know about you, like when I break something though, like something fragile, I just, I feel really helpless. Like when you see it on the ground. I remember a time when I accidentally broke my, uh, my daughter, Aniston. She had this little ceramic angel and, it, and, uh, and somehow it got broken. Great story, involves a poopy diaper, really good story. But like it broke on the ground and it was everywhere. I just felt, I felt terrible because like once it's broken, like there's no, there's no putting the angel back together to make it look normal again, Right. You know, in Japan, they take a totally different approach. Uh, Kintsugi. It's the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together, but they do it with gold. Yeah, artists will take broken pieces and they'll glue them back together, but they have gold in the glue so that they don't hide them. They accentuate the cracks. They feel that embracing flaws and imperfections actually creates it makes them even stronger and more beautiful. You see, you see, every break is unique. And instead of repairing it to be like new, this 400-year-old technique actually highlights scars as part of the design. Can I just tell you that this is how God sees you? That even your brokenness can be used by him. And when his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and the blood of Christ is all placed in there and it, and, it, and, it, and it glues you back together, guess what? Your scars don't disappear, but they could be used by him to change the world. There can be such beauty and brokenness when we just let him heal us. So the question is, will you let him? Will you let God restore you? And will you remember he's not done with you? Heavenly Father, we live in a broken world. And we pray right now for that world, but we also pray for the brokenness inside of us. Brokenness that hurts to even think about. Brokenness that we would rather ignore. 
but today we can't because we know that you came, Jesus, to die for it. And that instead of trying to piece us back together to make us look like we used to, in fact, you say, no, 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 no. What if we highlight the scars to show that I was with you and that I can be with others too? Would you kintsugi our life back together, Jesus? And may we be an example to others around us that shows that you are not done with us yet. In your name we pray. Friends, let's stand. Let's take communion together. 
There may not be a better way to be able to represent how much Jesus loves our brokenness by remembering his brokenness on the cross and his shed blood on the cross that seeps into every failure and weakness we have and brings us back together. So this bread actually represents something. It represents Jesus' broken body. He tells us to remember him each week by doing this. And so we take this bread and we eat in remembrance of Jesus now. And this juice represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We take a drink in remembrance of him. Now listen, if you, if you need prayer about anything, if you want to talk about Jesus, if you want to hear more, I'm going to be down by the cross. I'd invite, if I have a staff member that might be on the other side just to help. If you need prayer about anything, we'd love to pray for you and be there for you. But just know that God's not done. Your brokenness doesn't define you. Jesus defines you. Make him the Lord and Savior of your life. Follow him fully. Let's pray. Mighty God, I ask right now that you help us as we leave. Give us your strength, your mercy, your love. Let us hear from you and follow you more than we do the ways of this world, the brokenness of this world that wants to drag us into its own demise. But God, help us to stay above that. Keep our eyes fixed on you. May we not sacrifice our integrity for a a quick fix or a quick feeling, but may we be completely devoted to you. No matter how long that takes, may we be completely devoted to you, trusting you in all things. Consugi us back together by your grace, Jesus. We love you and we thank you in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. Tag your it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org.